I was reading about a football player and he was talking about his injuries. He said, well, listen, it's a violent game. Everybody plays hurt. And he's like, so it's not a question of like, is life hard? It's hard for everybody. It's just a matter, do you keep showing up to it? And I, I thought about that. I'm like, you know, it's true. Nobody's had a perfect history. Nobody's had a perfect, no, no one's stuff has ever worked out all the ways that they wanted to. So the question becomes is how do we learn to walk together in the midst of it? You've seen it and maybe even lived it, the car driving by and splashing the person on the sidewalk. Today, Pastor Daniel finishes up this series in Romans by sharing that we're all a bit mud-drenched, broken, and limping. The truth is that life is hard and can blindside you, but that doesn't mean that there isn't joy or goodness in it. Pastor Daniel urges you to cling to the hope of Jesus as you walk through life with other people. A tribe you can count on. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 16 as he continues his message, Final Thoughts. Because Paul says this, look what he says in verse 18, for those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So the divisive person is not serving the Lord, but they're serving their own bellies and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the heart of the simple. So for the person who's divisive, it's a self-centered thing. And really what they're doing is they're trying to find a couple people who are immature, who they can link up with. Who, who they can bring over to their side. And so it's a great reminder for each one of us to make sure that we are being influenced by godly people and not being unduly influenced by people who are divisive, who aren't serving the Lord. Now, don't miss that. If someone is divisive, they're not serving the Lord. Now, this is an important thing because we do live in a day and age where the church of Jesus Christ, people are fighting over everything. Right, And what I realize is that when people are fighting in the name of Jesus, I, re- I say, like, so are these fights about Jesus? Is this about people trying to hunker down on their position? And I think it gets exacerbated by the fact that we live in a connected world. Right? Like where, where somebody who you've never met, now you feel like you have a, something to say about what they're doing, even though you've never met them, you don't go to church together, none of that stuff. But what I would tell you is what the decision that we've made as a church is the most important battle to fight is to populate heaven. And all the energy we spend bickering with other believers takes energy from our desire to join Jesus in populating heaven. So that's why so every once in a while someone says, well, you need to comment on that thing. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> There's enough people commenting on it. My only desire is to see people meet Jesus. That's our only desire here as a church. See, people, well, and if you take your energy and put it to those other things, that's just energy that you're using. You're, you're investing our energy in things that are temporal. Because think about the things we argued about 10 years ago. Does anybody remember what you argued about 10 years ago? You, nobody does. See that? So we want to make sure we invest our energies in the right places. Now, notice it says, verse 19, for your obedience has been known to all, 
Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Now, I love this because as Paul's closing this thing out, he starts saying that your obedience has become known to all. So the church in Rome has a reputation for being obedient. And here's what I want to tell you about obedience. Nobody likes talking about it. We didn't like it as kids. We don't like it now. But there are blessings on the other side of obedience. When we choose to obey what God asks of us, there is a blessing that comes on the other side of it. So really what you learn, and Paul's going to talk about obedience a little bit later in this passage, is that the life that God has for us actually exists on the other side of him inviting us to do something that we wouldn't do normally. Right? So you see what the word of God says. You say, okay, um, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to obey it. And then when you take that step, then you realize something amazing is on the other side of it. But for most of us, we don't realize the blessing that comes with obedience because we never took the step of obedience in the first place. And what I want to encourage you is that in your life, in, in, where you live, what is the thing that God is asking you to obey right now? That one thing in, in your life, or you've been reading the scriptures, you've been thinking about it, and you're like, I know I need to do this, I just haven't done it yet. I want to encourage you to take the step of faith and be obedient to God's word. Because what you'll find is that when you do it, and you take that step, at some point you realize, I'm so happy I did that. It's like when you read that Jesus says that you're more blessed to give than receive. And we live in a culture that says, you'll only be happy if you receive. And if you don't believe that to be true, spend a time with any little kid about 10 minutes after they're done opening their Christmas presents. Because they just received a whole lot, and are they happy? Maybe not. They wish there was more presents. All this stuff goes on. And then you step out, you serve the Lord, and then you're like, wow, Jesus isn't lying. I'm more blessed to be self-giving than to want everything to serve me. Right? So many people can tell the story of with financial generosity. You read in the scriptures. That you should give. And say, I can't give. I can't afford it. And then you take the step and you start to give. And you realize, actually, I can't afford not to give. Because I have no doubts about my finances. Because my finances are in the hand of the Lord. Oh, and it feels great to not live my whole life focused on my kingdom. There's all these areas. And so the church in Rome was known for its obedience. How beautiful. He's saying, I want you to be wise in what's good. I want you to have wisdom in what's good, and I want you to be simple. I want you to be innocent and concerning the things of evil. And then he says in verse 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. Amen. See, Paul just starts to begin to say a benediction. That because you're focusing and being wise in what is good, because you're being innocent, childlike in what is evil, let's make sure we remember who the author of peace and good is and who the author of evil is. And it's a great reminder that ultimately, God is victorious. This, of course, reminds us of Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. These words spoken to Eve after she had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil speaks of the ultimate defeat of good over evil. 
Now, you realize that defeat happened in totality at the cross, but its full, its fulfillment or its inauguration in totality happens in the soon return of Jesus. So it's already and it's not yet. That's what the Bible teaches. But ultimately, when you look at the world and you see all the evil, you have to remember that God has already conquered evil through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when Jesus returns, all things will be made right. And because of that, you and I are people of hope. We live our lives with hope. Because no matter how bad it looks, we realize that God has already done the work. It's been said that, you know, that the victory is won, but there are still battles to be fought until Jesus comes back. It's like when an army were to come on in, right? And they put their flag on the beach saying, this is ours. But then there's all these battles to be fought. In the same way, the victory is won in Jesus. And until Jesus returns, there are battles to be fought. But we realize that the God of peace, because of his grace, already crushed Satan. And that gets me so happy. Because sometimes when you look at the world, it can be pretty disconcerting, can it? You see all this stuff going on, you're like, man, this is bad. But then you open up your Bible and you realize, yeah, it is bad. But God is good. God has already done what he said he would do. And God can be trusted. Now, from there, look what it says. Verse 21, Romans 16, says this. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipat, or my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, remember, earlier in chapter 16, the apostle Paul greeted all these people in the church in Rome. And now, he's saying hello from all the people who are with him. And if I were just to put this in a simple heading, here's the simple question I have for you. Who's your tribe? Because right here, at this moment in the Apostle Paul's life, this is his tribe. These are the people that he's rolling with. These are the people he's doing life with. You have, of course, Timothy. We Paul wrote two letters to Timothy that we have in our scriptures. Lucius, Jason, so it's about they're his countrymen. So people who are of the same ethnicity as he is, they greet them. You have Tertius here, who was the scribe who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So, so Paul, according to a church tradition, had some sort of an eye ailment. He didn't really normally write his own letters with his own hand. He would dictate them to somebody else who would write them. And so uh, you have this guy, Tertius, who was the person who actually... Paul was speaking and he was penning this letter. Then you have Gaius who was his host and the host of the church. So where Paul was writing from, the, the head of that house church, the host of it. You have, of course, Erastus who was a treasurer in that city. There's all these people who the apostle Paul is hanging with and doing life with. And you know, we talk, this about, we talk about this here all the time. All of you should have people that you're walking through life with spiritually. That's why we want all of you in a community group. All of you, because you need people who is your tribe, the people who you're rolling through life with. Now, you have to realize, and I think we live in a day and age, it's kind of a weird time, because I think people forget that in order to find your tribe, you need to meet all sorts of people, right? Like, if you think about the people who you're rolling through life with now, did you meet them all on the same exact day? No. See, but relationships form because people get together in a community group. 
right? You begin serving, you go on a mission trip, and out of all the people you're there, there are certain people who all of a sudden you, you connect with, and, 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 and for whatever reason, friendships form. And when I look back over my life, I literally, on an average week, meet thousands of people. But how many people become like, these are the people I roll through life with? In 43 years, there's a handful of people who are really like, these are people I roll through life with. And that's true for everybody. So what I want to encourage you is to make sure, do you have people who you're growing with spiritually? In the same way that you find people who may be in business, you came up in business together, you came up in school together, you got to know one another, and you've kind of walked through life and life's developed together. God wants that for all of us because God created us not to just be individuals, but to live in community. So God wants all of us to be in a tribe. And in all of Paul's letters, there are moments where he talks about the people that he is walking through life with. They're serving together. Life is happening and they're in this thing together. So, brothers and sisters, listen, make sure you're getting a community group. I want all, we want 100% of Crossroads to be in community groups. Why? Because you need people who know what's going on in your life, who are praying with you. I'll be honest with you. That's why people get scared of being in community, because people know what's going on in your life. That's what's the scariest thing. Someone will know that my marriage is not perfect. Somebody will know that I'm struggling right now. Somebody will know that I have an addiction that nobody knows about. Somebody will know that I have a history that I'm ashamed of. Some, and you insert whatever it is. But you know what I've learned? What the Bible teaches is that when you bring your life into the light, there's no shame. Because Jesus took our shame. And there is acceptance within the people of God because every sinner's got a past. And every saint's got a future. Like, everyone's got a past. You're never going to meet someone with a perfect marriage. No, every once in a while you meet someone who's never fought. And as a couple, and we're all envious of that, kind of. But there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. They're just imperfect people and a perfect savior. Everyone's got, you, you, you may not have the same history as somebody else, but everyone's got things in their past that they're walking around with that's, that's wounded them. We were just praying before the service and someone's prayed, Lord, we, we, we've all been wounded by life. You know, I was reading about a football player and he was talking about his injuries. He said, well, listen, it's a violent game. Everybody plays hurt. And he's like, so it's not a question of like, is life hard? It's hard for everybody. It's just a matter, do you keep showing up to it? And I thought about that. I'm like, you know, it's true. Nobody's had a perfect history. Nobody's had a perfect, no one's stuff has ever worked out all the ways that they wanted to. So the question becomes is how do we learn to walk together in the midst of it? And what God wants for you is he wants you to be walking through life with other people. And he wants the people of God to always be together with one another, inviting other people into it. Because you'll notice in Paul's letters, there's different people coming and going. And I think that's part of it. Like sometimes we find friends and they're life friends, right? Like you're like, man, I'm going to know this person forever. But that's not actually the best person for you to be in a community group with. Because you're already super tight with them. You don't need the community group to foster the relationship, right? But there's always new people who you never know who you might meet, what they bring to the table, how in that moment they're the perfect person to give you advice in a certain situation or you to give them advice. 
But you got to make sure you have a tribe. Here's what I'll tell you. In almost 20 years of pastoral ministry, the people who make it through the best, who blossom the most, are the people who have people around them when things go wrong. That when something happens, there's already people who are there with them, who know them. The Lone Ranger style of Christianity that became kind of popular. I mean, you know, we know that the Lone Ranger, he had Tonto too, which is cool for him, you know. But like doing it on your own, when bad things happen, those are the folks who get picked off along the way. Because there's no one to be there for them. There's no one to give them wise counsel, biblical counsel on how to go through things. The single, you know, and if you look at it from in, in things like homelessness, all these different areas... In homelessness, one of, the, one of the reasons that it happens is not only because of drug addiction and mental illness, but people don't have connections to family. Like I know if I fell on hard times, there's lots of people who would say, yeah, I'll help you out, right? And maybe over time you burn that, but when you don't have those people, your tribe, and you fall on hard times, it's really easy to get lost in the midst of it. So God wants you to be part of a tribe. Our goal at Crossroads is to be, everyone's got a tribe here at Crossroads. Now, you can find that, obviously, joining a community group. Do any ministry here. The people who work at, who, who do Second Saturday together, that's a tribe. You do kids ministry, that's a tribe. Our safety team, those folks are a tribe, right? You, you do worship, you do this. The greeters, they're a tribe. There's all these different areas, people who focus on foster care, people who focus on refugees, people who, guys in men's ministry, women in women's ministry, folks who are in Celebrate Recovery together. They become a tribe. They're walking through life together, right? For young adults, you're in young adults and you're serving and people who are serving here and there, when people go on a mission trip together, all of a sudden a tribe forms, right? You have to ask yourself, do I have a tribe? Here's what I want to tell you. God wants you in a tribe. He wants you to be around people who love the Lord and learn to love you and you learn to love them and you walk through life together. Paul had it. The church in Rome had it. God wants you to have it. And here as a church, we always say community is our middle name here. Crossroads Community Church. You like how we do that? It's literally our middle name. But we don't just want it to be our middle. We want it to be the reality of what everyone experiences here. So make sure as you prepare for a new year that you are saying, okay, I'm going, to be in a, I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to step out in ministry. I'm going to make sure that I find myself in a tribe with people who I am growing and walking through life with. Now the Apostle Paul finishes out this letter, verse 25, Romans 16. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And all of God's family said, Amen. Amen. Now, this is simple. The simple encouragement here is that you and I, we need to let God establish us. Let God establish you. Now to him who is able to establish you. The thing about that idea of being established, it means being firm, being fixed, being put in place intentionally. 
What God wants to do for each one of us is he wants to establish us within his family, within his kingdom. And God does that. Notice what it says. It says he's able to do that according to Paul's gospel, according to the good news that the apostle Paul has been proclaiming. All the way back in Romans 1, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Right? Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, then they are believing the proclaimed gospel, the good news. It's not just good history, although it's great history. Jesus was a historical figure. It's not just good advice. It's good news. It's the fact that God loves people. And when God sees people, he doesn't pretend we're not what we are. He sees us in our tragedy and in our victory. He sees us in our strengths and in our weaknesses. He's there when we win the prize for being amazing. And he sees us when we completely mess everything up. And he loves us still. And in all the ways we failed, he sent Jesus to die in our place. Well, you and I, we should be established in the gospel. When someone messes up, we don't judge them. Why? Because we're established in the gospel. We expect people to mess up. We don't hold them to a standard that they can't live up to. We say, listen, I realize you're fine. Now, we don't believe that, like, well, you just do whatever you want, that grace may abound. But when people prove themselves to be exactly who God says that they are, we don't judge them for it. We say, this is why we believe the gospel. There's an opportunity for redemption. So, so it's, we get established according to the gospel, but not only according to the gospel, notice what it says, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus. We always like to say that, it, that the, the centerpiece of every sermon should be Jesus, who he is, what he has done, how Jesus is not only our Savior, but our example. Jesus shows us this is what life in the kingdom is like. This is how we ought to live. We should look at our lives and say, how is my life unlike Jesus's life? And what should I do? If Jesus was in this situation, what would he do? Some people got offended by the WWJD bracelets from back in the day. I don't understand why you get them. Like, I mean, if Jesus is God's son, perfect, the, the acceptable sacrifice, wouldn't you want to model your life after him? Now listen, none of us have to die for the sins of the world. Praise God. God wants to deliver you from your sins through believing in Jesus. But you say, how would Jesus handle this situation? What would Jesus do? Right? So we proclaim the finished work of Jesus. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel finished up the Amplify series by urging you to let God put you where he wants you to be, in his family and kingdom. You learn that he does this through the gospel, the good news that Jesus is real and has made a way for you to have a relationship with God. Pastor Daniel shared that Jesus sees you. He sees the good and the bad in all ways and at all times. And he loves you no matter what. Once again, you were reminded that Jesus is the point. He's your rescuer and your example. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you, and that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. We're so glad that you stayed with us through this series called Amplify. Throughout this study in Romans, Pastor Daniel reminded you that how you live your life proclaims who Jesus is and why a relationship with him matters. Because Jesus is real, your life can change. So plug into the power source of the Lord and share his love and truth. That's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.